On the Sabbath before Christmas, we are delighted that you're joining us as we continue our Advent series, Songs of Expectation. When you read Luke's nativity story, you'll find that he traces the story of the Christ child, and it can be actually uh, staged through a series of songs that Luke records. So far, we have looked at the song of Zechariah. Last week, we looked at the song of Mary. Today, we look at the song of the angels to the shepherds. And next week, we conclude with the song of Simeon. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have been blessed by the songs which have been sung. We have been blessed by the scripture which has been read. And Lord, for these next few moments, we invite you to continue to be with us. Whether we are by ourselves watching, whether we are with friends or whether we are with family, we pray, Lord, that you will attend us, that the words which are spoken uh, may challenge us, may comfort us, and above all, may lift up Christ. Is our prayer in his name. Amen. My neighbor drives a beautiful cherry red Peterbilt semi-truck. It looks a little like this. It's a classic symbol of American freedom, commerce, energy, ingenuity, and industry. But for most of us, beyond the frustrated pass in the left lane as we try to get past them going up a hill, we really don't pay much thought to these Peterbilts to the Volvos, or to the Max that barrel down the highway 24 hours a day. In 2015, photographer Josh Simpson was commissioned to capture the unknown lives of these truck drivers, and the next series of pictures will show some of the charm and the challenge and the grit and the daily work of this community of people. This is Carl, Carl Vera, in his vintage Peterbilt, looking incredibly happy as he sits in the cabin. And here are some buttons inside the cabin showing the trailer and the tractor as he works. The next picture shows a little of his living quarters as he barrels up and down the highway 24 hours a day. This is John Collins from Fort Myers, Florida who's been operating and driving his truck for over 20 years. And the next picture shows an eagle flying as he drives his truck. And this final picture is Eddie. Eddie Edwards, 75 years and has been driving his truck for 55 years, up and down the highways of America. And there he is with his cute puppy, who is his current companion. These are essential workers doing important jobs that make this country run. And when they stop after eight hours of driving up and down the highway, you know what they cannot do? They can't decide to go and have a hike. They don't decide to go shopping. When they stop after eight hours within a tight window of driving, they have to stay with their cargo, their precious cargo. And that's why they have a cab at the back where they can sleep. They are uniquely tied to their products. Truckers are special. 
The shepherds in Luke's nativity story are like truck drivers. They're ordinary. They keep watch. They work through the night. They are unnoticed. They are needed. They are often forgotten. They are unglamorous. They are essential. And they would be the last place that you would have a setting for a divine annunciation. And yet the story of Christmas reveals to us that God reveals himself to us and to all people in all sorts of different ways and especially the mundane, including the performance of a divine concert at the equivalent of a truck stop in Nazareth. Why does God reveal himself in the ordinary and in the mundane? Why does God reveal himself to people who are often forgotten and who are often unseen? And what might we learn about God as he reveals himself to us? And what might we learn about the song of praise that he gives to the shepherds on this occasion? I'm going to invite you to have your Bibles with you. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today as we go through the story of Christ. Luke chapter 2. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. If you go to Luke, you will see that his infancy uh, narrative sets the humble birth of Jesus against an interesting backdrop. The backdrop of Luke's story is of a mighty empire and of powerful rulers. While Caesar Augustus orchestrates an empire-wide census that the seemingly insignificant birth of a child comes up against, we find peasant parents in rural Palestine in the village of Bethlehem. And so the story begins with our prime mover here, seemingly Caesar Augustus, whose name means revered and exalted one. And Caesar had come in during a long period of Roman war and he had ended the wars. And so he was hailed as the Prince of Peace. He was lauded as the savior of the world. He was celebrated for bringing the reign of Pax Romana or Roman peace. And under his rule, the economy was booming. Rome was rebuilt more glorious than it had ever been. Temples, arenas, public arenas, and forums were all built by Caesar Augustus. A system of roads was built across the empire. Images of the emperor and the Roman gods filled Rome and all the major cities of the empire, proclaiming Caesar is Lord and extolling his rule of peace and prosperity. In fact, when we go to history, we'll find from the Prini inscription some more uh, words that help us understand how Caesar was seen at this time. Listen to this. The most divine Caesar we should consider equal to the beginning of all things. For when everything was falling into disorder and tending toward disillusion, 
He restored it once more and gave the whole world a new aspect. Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times. The birthday of the god Augustus has been for the whole world the beginning of good news. This is the same word concerning him, the gospel, Evangelion, good news concerning him, the printy inscription written in 9 BC. And Horace, writing a few years later in 13 BC, says this, thine age, O Caesar, has brought back fertile crops to the field, has wiped away our sins and revived the ancient virtues. And the fame and majesty of our empire was spread from the sun's bed in the west to the east. As long as Caesar is the guardian of the state, neither civil dissension nor violence shall banish peace. It's a clear picture of who they think Caesar is. But beneath the polished image of this emperor, beneath his polished public image, was a much darker reality. Augustus Caesar brutally murdered any perceived enemies, and he achieved peace in the empire by suppressing human rights and personal liberties. Receiving the benefits of the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, meant submitting to totalitarian rule. And of course, peace, which is achieved by coercion and oppression, is no true peace at all. And Luke hints, as we read this story about Christ being born into the world, Luke hints And if we are attentive, we can pick up the hints that Luke is leaving for us, that something important is about to happen even during this time. Luke chapter 2 verse 1, and it came to pass in those days when Augustus Caesar is Lord, that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And the purpose of this census, as many of us knows, uh, from going to nativity play after nativity play and, and missing that this year because of what is happening, the purpose of the census was so that taxes could be collected from all conquered peoples of the empire. And so we find uh, at this stage a very pregnant uh, Mary and her fiancé Joseph made the arduous 90-mile trek from Nazareth in Galilee to Bethlehem in the city of David. Why? They made this trek so that Joseph could be registered in his ancestral hometown. And we find that the utterly insignificant Among the countless of the subjects of the Roman Empire, Mary and Joseph, poor, weary travelers who could find no suitable place to lodge, far from home, far from family who could provide help and comfort, Mary gives birth to her firstborn child in a manger. And the scripture reading gave us a beautiful pictorial image of what it might look like for Mary to have had her firstborn out 
with the farm animals. And so on the surface of this story, it seems that the emperor Augustus is in charge. It seems he is in absolute control, ordering the movements of his people, even in the far-flung corners of his empire. And yet there are clues that there is something else working and there is something else pushing back during these events. Centuries earlier in the Old Testament, the prophet Samuel had journeyed to Bethlehem. Why? He had journeyed to Bethlehem and he had anointed a shepherd boy, David, and anointed him to be king of Israel, even while Saul was still in power. Why is this important? It's important because when we come to the story of the nativity, we find in the city of David, a child born to inherit, Luke 1.32 tells us, the throne of his ancestor, David. A child who would rightfully be known as the king of kings. A child who would rightfully be known as the prince of peace. A child who would be loved as savior of the world. A child who we sing about as Emmanuel, God with us. Because Luke is telling us that although it looks like Caesar Augustus is Lord, that Jesus is Lord. Even while Herod and Quirinius and Augustus ostensibly remain in power, Christmas reminds us of this important fact that the inbreaking of the kingdom of God is always happening. And it is never diminished by our ability to perceive it. And this is just Luke chapter 1, excuse me, Luke 2, verse 1. And it's such an important and a timely story for us living in 2020. Yes, even in 2020, when it's hard, God is still inviting us to ponder this question, to ask ourselves, even in the midst of difficulty and of uncertainty, to recognize that God is still at work in the world, to recognize that God is still in breaking into our lives, even when everything around us tempts us to believe the very opposite. And now we come to the main part of our sermon for today, the shepherd's annunciation given to them by the angels. It's an incredible picture of spectacular grandeur in the mundane. It's a picture of an annunciation at a truck stop in the middle of nowhere to people who are forgotten and unseen. And we're told in this story as we read it, that the angel of the Lord appears and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Luke 2 verse 9. And the shepherds hear this otherworldly creature proclaim good news of great joy. And then suddenly this singular messenger is no longer by himself because Luke tells us that a multitude of the heavenly army appears and bursts into praise. 
and they burst into praise this heavenly army, coming not with a sword, but with a song. And no wonder the shepherds are filled with great fear. Think about it with me. These ordinary people living lives under an oppressive reign of foreign government, living lives under heavy taxation, living a life where they've had to go and take part in a forced census. And now on top of all of that anxiety and fear, there is an angelic choir with angels who look an awful lot like military figures and like an army speaking down to them. But these shepherds, like all of Israel after years and generations of empire rule by the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks and the Seleucids and now the Romans, each reign brings successive pain, trauma, and subjugation, are longing now for liberation, for freedom, and for salvation. And over the dark night sky, this canvas of suffering and sadness, the angelic host of heaven sing a strong melody that would echo for all eternity. And Luke tells us the words of this melody, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he favors. What a song. Now I know that for many of us, uh, we are used to the King James translation and even in my new King James translation, it, it translates it as goodwill to all men. And it's an unfortunate reading because uh, it's very clearly peace among those whom he favors. There is an exclusivity to it, which may feel a little abrupt because we think of the Christmas story as reaching everyone. And we are right because in verse 10, when the angel speaks to the shepherds, he says the good news is for all people, but the peace is for those whom he favors. It's a small but important distinction. And then even when we go to Luke chapter 1, verse 32, in Simeon's song, he tells us that Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for all Israel. So we recognize that, yes, it may not be peace and goodwill, but surely the good news of Jesus still is for everyone. And it is a song that will be re-echoed by the voice of a great multitude as the voice of many waters saying, and we find this in Revelation 19, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And you see all of these biblical allusions for all of us and our musicians who surely are missing our Handel's Messiah concert this year. There is so much praise and joy and hope that surges through the story of Christmas. And although we live in a world still dominated by little Caesars, although we live in a world still enamored with wealth and power and military might, although we find ourselves existing in a place where the lowly 
far too often are still trampled under and forgotten, where the common person is left in the memory of our nation, we know from history that Caesars fall. And we must remember that one way or another, the rule of every tyrant eventually comes to an end. And for some of us, that is good news because we have found ourselves under the oppressive rule of people because we live in a country where we are not free because we work in a place where we are not treated well. But for those of us who may be listening and lest we become smug listening to this news, we have to take stock and recognize that not only were the little Caesars in the world fall, but our personal empires too will pass away. All the things that we hold on to tightly, all the ways that we seek to have power over others, all of our relentless planning and maneuvering and strategizing never bring true peace or security absent God. And after 2020, we would be foolish if we thought that we can live a life where we can control every aspect, where the calendar moves to our whim and where we are Lord over the future. Our illusions of control this year have been shattered and they've been shattered in a way that gives us breathing room and an opportunity to take stock and to place Christ central if he has been made peripheral. And the good news for us today, my friends, is that God's anointed one, the Savior and Lord, has arrived among us now. The Savior is born for us even these many centuries later, and his birth is good news for all people. He comes to bring peace, Luke tells us, on earth by reconciling us to God and to one another with the power of love that cast out fear. Jesus gives you the opportunity and by his power to seek reconciliation right now with people you have become estranged from, with people who you have not called for months, with people whose last memory you had was of bitter words and of harsh looks. God's reconciling power in Christmas gives us the opportunity to broach and to come back to people we are far from. His reign continues to break into our world wherever the lowly are lifted up, wherever the outcast are welcomed, wherever the hungry are fed. And I'll pause to say that it's in these moments as I watched the video of Eden's Pantry, as I heard from our elder Donnie Viverka about the good work that you have done blessing families who have been left behind, who are poor, who are lonely, who are in need, that in these moments and in these acts, as quotidian as they may seem, this is the spirit of Christ being ushered into our community and being sent out to those around us. And we are so grateful for the ways in which you continue to support those who have less than you have. And so whenever the poor are clothed and sheltered, 
Whenever captives are set free, whenever enemies are reconciled, whenever father and son are reconciled, whenever mother and daughter are reconciled, whenever boss and employee are reconciled, whenever enemies, friends, or family are reconciled, the good news is proclaimed. Sins are forgiven. Lives are transformed. And today, as we celebrate the Messiah's birth, we look forward to the day when his reign of justice, mercy, and peace will be fulfilled in all of our lives. And I'm going to end by uh, a quote that Ellen White has in The Desire of Ages, speaking about that moment when the shepherds were visited by the angels. And this quote is so important for me because she paints this picture that yes, we remember an event which happened thousands of years ago. Yes, this seems uh, in many ways like we are rehearsing something um, in a very spiritual way, but she tells us in this quote that the effects are lasting and the effects should have a, 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 should make a real difference in our lives even today. Listen to what she says. She says, heaven and earth are no wider apart today than when shepherds listened to the angel's song. Let's, just, let's go back to this one uh, for a second. Heaven and earth are no wider apart today than when shepherds listened to the angel's song. And this this was the sentence which drew me in because I thought to myself, Mercy, Andreas, you've thought about the difficulties of this year. You've heard the, the, the groans and the cries of people, and we heard it during our time of prayer, who have loved ones in hospitals, who have had memorials outside, who have not been able to be with loved ones, and often it feels like heaven and earth are far. It feels like perhaps we have been forgotten, but we are reminded that right now, heaven and earth are no wider apart today than when shepherds listen to angels' God, to angels' song. God is still present. And then she continues. Humanity is still as much the object of heaven's solicitude as when common men of common occupations met angels at noonday and talked with heavenly messengers in the vineyards and the fields. And she concludes, to us in the common walks of life, heaven may be very near. Angels from the courts above will attend the steps of those who come and go at God's command. And so this Christmas, may you feel the reality that with the ultimate dissension of Christ into this world, that heaven is still near to earth, that Christ has been made available to reconcile all of us, that truly Christ has come and Emmanuel is with us. Amen.
again, thank you for joining us this week. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and we're so glad you worshiped with us this Sabbath. Please let us know where you're joining us from. You can send us a message on our social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on our church website. And we pray that you have a wonderful week and God's richest blessings go with you.